Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Be wearing any more clothes? Every day. 15 Yemen Road, Yemen. It's time for Sports Dudes Who Dig Friends, a Pop 6 podcast. How you doing? We shall let the music play again. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, Pop 6, your courtesy of 1045 The Zone. Week 3 of the Friends Deep Dive as we go back in time to one of the great comedies of all time. And. Well, we'll see how this goes today because we're talking about season seven, eight, and nine. Now we're getting long in the tooth. This show's been on for a long, long time. The ratings are still high. We're going to talk a little bit more about the numbers today uh, and just where this show was rating at the time in terms of other primetime shows because it was still very, very strong at this point. I'm Jason Martin, of of course, the editor-in-chief of the Big Six Blog, host of the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Brad Willis is a program director here at 104.5 The Zone, a self-professed Super Friends fan. And he's been with me these last couple of weeks as we've just kind of gone back through this and we've watched a whole lot of Friends over the last two or three weeks as well. And, well, we got to the proposal at the end of Season 6. Basically, it's kind of where we were with Monica and Chandler. And Season 7... Season 7 was a good one in terms of the awards because you got two nominations, for one for Lisa Kudrow, one for Jennifer Aniston. Rachel got better in terms of her acting because they gave her more to do later on in the show. She had the baby angle and all of those things kind of played in, and Kudrow was just kind of maybe the most talented of the six in general, certainly the one that was maybe the most overlooked in terms of the Phoebe character and what she was able to do, but... Just trying to like go back through and put together various, what were some of the plot lines that were going on. And when you actually start to do that, you realize just how many secondary plots there actually are in this show, Brad. Yeah, it's, it's as I'm getting into season nine over the last few days, because you mentioned we've been watching a lot of Friends. Yep. It's like you know everything that happens on a surface level, and then you go back and kind of do the deep dive. And you, and you remember the subplots and the things that you talk about. And the thing that I keep coming back to is a lot of the subplots that we are visiting in seasons 7, 8, and 9 are storylines, especially around a handful of characters, that could have been handled in the first three, four, five seasons. Mm-hmm. And we maybe just didn't have time to get to. So when you have an episode for Joey where he's auditioning, it feels very much like something that could have happened very early in the series. Um, we'll get to all that because I think there's still a lot of redeeming qualities in, in season seven, season eight, season nine, season nine, man. starting to feel a little bit of fatigue and we'll get into why that is. I, I still say friend, friends fatigue is perhaps better than most other fatigues. If oh you yeah. No, no, I, I agree a million percent. One thing I did and have done in the past is say, look, if I had a ton of time, what I would love to do is take a show like 
Friends is not as great an example because there are a lot less episodes that you would just throw away. But we've made mention of how I met your mother a lot. And I said, you know, if you were to go back and just pick the essentials and say, all right, here's what you need to watch to get the gist of this show and to understand the story from start to finish and to know all you need to know about this show, you could cut out 60 or 70 percent of it and get the high mark stuff. There's a lot of throwaway stuff, and increasingly there's more throwaway stuff as these seasons go along, and that's just kind of the way it is. Eventually you start to run out of ideas, and then you start to see recycled plots. Dramas always go too long. There are very few dramas that have ever made it five seasons where when you get to the fifth season, that show should still be on the air because you've had to do so much with those characters and take them through so many different things that there's not much left. Friends did a better job because they... Again, I think what saved the show and what gave it as much length as it had is Monica and Chandler happening because that gave you a couple of extra seasons. It gave you something else to watch. It also allowed them to get away from Ross and Rachel for a time, and then you could go back to that to bookend the show because that's what bookended the show. Ross and Rachel bookended the start, bookended the finish of Friends, just as many shows have found a way to find whatever their bookends are, but you needed something in the middle and they did find that in these seasons. We shared an article late last week. Yes. Uh, it was a, a Vulture article from, good goodness, 2013, mm-hmm. perhaps, that talked about the, the concern in the room for when the writers came up with the idea of, we should put Monica and Chandler together. And you started seeing you know, the, the pieces of that start to come together around the beginning of season three. And by the completion of season three, they are... You know, they're they're sleeping with each other in London. Yes. And so we've come kind of full circle. Season four is the development of that relationship. It, really interesting to me, though, to hear a lot of people talk about how much concern there was in the room with the actors. Because everyone had been so protective of their characters and what felt like, you know, things that were being true to those characters that you know, they were they were protective of them as though they were real people. And so if, if they're going to end up in a relationship together, how do, we, how do we do this the right way? And so they took the approach of Chandler and Monica with a little bit of a slow burn as opposed to Ross and Rachel, which they gave to you kind of right out of the shoot that happened in front of everybody. And they took Chandler and Monica and they said, this is going to be a slow build that we're going to kind of hide from everybody for a while. Yeah, I think that played out good. It, it played out much better. I mean, the Ross-Rachel thing, I'm trying to think of an analogy to it. And this is not like an analogy you've ever seen before, but... You have seen, like, videos of somebody who will have a $20 bill on the sidewalk, and you'll start to go to pick up that $20 bill, and it'll start to move back because it's actually on somebody's hook. Right. That's more the Ross-Rachel thing. Here's the $20 bill. Keep on chasing it. We're going to keep pulling it back. Monica and Chandler was like they were dropping quarters, and right. you were following the quarters and you're able to pick them up. down the pathway, picking up each one, and then you get to the end, and you realize you've got 20 bucks. It's a pretty good analogy, actually. Not bad. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, it, 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 it had a build. And by the time you got the full twenty bucks, you were you were you were pretty satisfied with that. Yes, you know. So looking back on season six, before we get into season seven, it was basically the will they or won't they get engaged. Monica, you know, ends up running into Richard. Richard at that point tells her, you know, I'm willing to have kids. I'm willing to. to Which marry is the whole you. reason it didn't work the first time. Exactly. And so we've now reached a point where you know Chandler, who was willing at, at you know as season as season six wore to a close. He was willing to uh, propose and and give Monica, you know, all the things that she he felt like she wanted, um, and and he had to kind of weather out that storm. He did. They're engaged, and that's the end of season six. That kind of brings us to where we are right now. We've got we've got Ross and Rachel 
not a couple. They're 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 firmly broken up, but they're friendly. You've got Joey going about his life, Phoebe going about her life. Chandler and Monica are officially engaged, and we kick off season seven with that. And what's the first thing we get in season seven? More Ross and Rachel. Yeah. I mean, that's again, it's classic misdirection. It's just, all right, we're still here, just so you know. Right. This is still why you've watched this show for the last Don't however forget. long. This is still not over. And you realize it when Monica's thunder was stolen. And that was kind of the way that she played it. She hated that her thunder was stolen in that moment with the Ross and the Kiss and the Rachel. Like, there it is, because there's friends right there in a microcosm. And Chandler and Monica then just through the season – you just kind of saw the idiosyncrasies of a couple going between engagement and marriage that are both as neurotic and sort of sometimes overplanned as they were. And there was a lot of funny things that we saw. And there was a lot of the, we've talked about the insecurity of the Chandler character, or I've talked about that and how sarcasm was sort of his defense mechanism and how Monica went from being the, the hot girl from the not girl, basically. And so we find out midway through the season, just as one example, Chandler couldn't handle a fat girl, didn't want to date a fat girl. And so Monica's like, wait a second. And so she started to think back to those things because all of a sudden parts of those comfort zones crumbled right in front of her. And so, you again, you were able to see all of these things that were going on. I felt like throughout much of season seven, Rachel just kind of flailed around. She was just sort of doing some weird stuff. The tag storyline was sort of set to pop out at some point there. And then you just had, she was just kind of messing around with Ross, but in a weird way, like Ben gets involved right. and things like that. Well, it, I think it's a, tra- if you want to call it a trap, it's a trap probably a lot of writers run into when they, when they have in their mind uh, an end game for the series. And, you know, knowing what we know now, I mean, anybody who's listening to this has probably seen the series through its entirety. They know that by the end we want Ross and Rachel back together again. The problem is, is not knowing when we get there, how do we keep them apart and, and do it in a creative way? How do, well, how do we do it in a creative way, but how do we do it in a natural way that doesn't make you feel like you are literally going through a double-dare obstacle course? Right, right. And that's where a show like The Office, I thought, got it wrong because it seemed like the obstacles were all too phony. They were all too artificial. I could see it. It was a scripted wrestling match that was not particularly – I was not able to suspend my disbelief. Friends did a better job of it, but I think at some point you just realize, okay, they're just messing with us, and they're going to continue to manipulate us all the way to the end, even though we know at the end of this run, however long it goes, it's going to end in this way. And then I think one of the keys to doing that is making sure that those two characters that you're trying to keep apart but still make people want to see are interesting on their own, which again is where they screwed up Robin and How I Met Your Mother for years and made it so you didn't really want to see her with anybody. In some respects, they turned Ted into a jerk. Here they did a better job. They made Ross funny. They did the dissertation being found in the hookup spot in the library. Like, they found funny things for them to do that were still on brand for what those characters were. They didn't change the essence of who those guys and who those gals were. None of the six, really. They let them evolve. That's what we said almost right off the top of this podcast in our very first week. They found a way to make the tertiary stuff interesting and funny enough that you stuck with it and you still rooted for those characters all the way towards, you know, the conclusion of the series, which we'll talk about next week. There were some high points in season seven. No doubt. From a comedic standpoint. Yes. Um, 
and, and, a, and a couple that stand out to me were, were probably, you know, sidebar storylines, but Phoebe and her grandmother's cookies yes. stands out as a storyline to me that I still quote. I love it. I still quote to this day. I can't say Nestle Tollhouse. Yeah. I say Nestle Tollhouse. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's just, that is stuck with me uh, forever. Um, the, the other that I come back to is is uh, Chandler being being unwilling to take pictures. Not unwilling, unable. Yeah, taking to take bad a photos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Tollhouse thing is interesting because Phoebe has had cookies show up in the past, too. Remember, she made the best oatmeal raisin cookies in the world. That's right. And I don't lie. That's right. Like that whole deal. That's, the, that's yes. way back call back to the Paolo reveal to Rachel. So Phoebe and cookies, and these weren't the same. These were her grandmother's chocolate chip cookies. But, yeah, you're right. Like that was – there were many of those little things that were still there. Joey the uncircumcised man. <laughs> yeah. Monica with the cold cuts that's and the right. silly putty and yeah. all of those things. Like they, were, they still had that. I also like the tucks. With Pierce Brosnan and Val Kilmer. And when he finds out that it's not actually Batman's tux, he, he wore it to a premiere of a, a chick flick, so to speak. Yes. So, they're, I mean, they still had a lot of things that were going on. But one question that you asked last week I think has an answer now. But maybe my answer, I think my answer is going to be different than yours, and that was the jump the shark question that you asked. Okay. And... Did this show ever truly jump the shark? Yeah, and jump the shark is a term that you probably, hopefully, already know. It basically just means, all right, you've finally gone too far with this show, and it's time to end it. Give the origins, because I think the origins— Happy Days. Yeah, so in, in, the, in the series Happy Days, Arthur Fonzarelli, yes. also known as the Fonz— Literally jumped over a shark. Literally jet-skied over— jet ski. Yeah, over a shark. He jumped a shark. Yes. And, and everyone— you know, well, not everyone, but most people look back at that moment of Happy Days and they say that's the moment where Happy Days just kind of ceased to be what it was, that what made it special. Right. They'd reached a point where they couldn't tell stories anymore, and it was too unbelievable. Correct. The stuff they were having to do to keep the show on the air was so outlandish. It's just like, all right, there's no reason to watch this anymore. So the phrase, credibility the shot. phrase "jump the shark" is is linked forever with the Fonz. Yes, and we've talked about. Has this show, did this show, ever jump the shark? And I said it in episode one of this podcast. I did not believe that it had jumped the shark. And I asked you your opinion. So what do you, what do you think when you look back and now we're to season seven? Has this show yet jumped the shark? See, I thought seven was generally pretty good. Um, I think you can argue anything that gets this far probably jumped the shark at some point. You can find the spot for you. I liked seven. Eight started to really push it for me, but eight is actually what a lot of people regard as the best season in the show's history in terms of, well, there was a lot of good drama there. There were a lot of things happening that you wanted to see by the end of eight. Nine is where it really, nine is where it really hit me that, okay, we're going way too far now. Like stuff was just totally past it. In that moment, not that there weren't, and the thing about jumping the shark is, it doesn't mean it's never going to be good again. It just means that I just looked it up on Wikipedia to see exactly how they define it. They say it's the moment when something that was once popular no longer warrants the attention it previously received after making an attempt at publicity, which only serves to highlight its irrelevance. Friends was always relevant. It was still relevant till the end in terms of the ratings, numbers, and things like that. 
but it's more akin to just being past its peak and going too far. Well, and it oftentimes is is correlated with a, a, a change in a narrative where a character is added either via yes. a, a birth. A lot of times, a lot of times when a sitcom adds yes. a child, you, you you what you look back on is okay. Now we're telling new stories because we've told every story that there is to tell. Or the kids that exist get too old. Correct. That's another example of it. Or, well, the Simpsons kind of hilariously lampooned the idea of jumping the shark with Poochie the dog in one of their episodes, adding a character to the whatever the show was, or Itchy and Scratchy. They added Poochie to it, thinking that that was going to be it. They bring this cool dog on, and everybody buried the show, and they're like, what are you doing? So I'm much more of a believer that jumping the shark doesn't necessarily ruin a show. No, I'm saying it doesn't either. I'm with you. Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you. When I say jump the shark... I, I look back, and I think now, because I've watched through season nine, I think I have more clarity on this show in terms, in my mind, and I think it's a subjective thing. When did the show change? And I guess my point would be, at what point of the show do you reach where you say, you know what, everything that happens after this, I'm just a little less emotionally involved in. Mm-hmm. I care a little bit less about I quote less. I, you know, all those kinds of things. And I think it's earlier than I thought. Hmm. And funny enough, it revolves around the Fonz. Ah. It's the 100th episode when Phoebe is giving birth to the triplets. Joey ends up going into the hospital for an appendicitis, I believe. No, kidney stones. Mm-hmm. Kidney stones. That's the line. But the doctor for Phoebe comes yeah. in introduces himself, and says, by the way, I love the Fonz. Yeah. And it's a joke that, for whatever reason, for me, has always just kind of fallen flat because they all look at each other and they're like, what's the point? And he says, oh, let me be clear. I'm not the Fonz. I just love the Fonz. To me, that was a joke that never went anywhere. But also, when I think about storytelling, character development, and all those things, that is, I believe, the third or fourth episode of season Five. Yep, I believe that's right. That is also the the magic point for syndication. Yep, they've reached they've hundreds reached, where you can sell it. You can sell it now. In many respects, a lot of things changed after that. And again, I was fully expecting seasons eight or nine to be my jump the shark moment because season nine, I've got more opinions on that. But as I've watched those, I've realized. I'm just not as invested in these three seasons as maybe I was one, two, three, and four. At some point, you're starting to watch to get to a certain end. You're trying, trying to, to think of you're, other... you're trying to reach that twenty dollar bill. Yeah, right. I want to see Ross and Rachel get together, but I don't necessarily want to see the forty eight episodes that I have to sit through to get to that point. And there are other shows. Almost every show has something like that. I was just trying to think of some examples recently. I watched Suits religiously year after year after year. Once it's time for Mike and Rachel to leave, I was pretty much done. Even though I love that show, I'm just kind of like, okay, I get it. Like, it's, this has been fun. I enjoyed this. Home Improvement, when they brought the brother in and when it became about Jill and not about Tim and they started doing less tool time and tool time when they did show it was just so over the top and stupid. All right, Home Improvement has has run towards the end of its gamut. Like, there are, there are examples. Seinfeld even. It happened to Seinfeld. Seinfeld stuff started to get crazier and crazier even though I like the crazy on that show in terms of the Merv Griffin was one of the last episodes and it's still one of the best episodes. And there are various ones like that. 
but you could see Seinfeld was rolling off the tracks too. Like they, and it was nine seasons in, and it was. I don't think anyone's immune to it. No, I, I don't either. If you go too long, I, I'm not going to bu- butcher the Dark Knight quote, but what was once a hero can become a villain. At some point, you've just had enough. Well, and and what you find in in kind of catching up on things as as we reach the end, the producers weren't sure about doing a tenth season, right? And and Jennifer Aniston had to be talked into coming back for a tenth season because her movie career was getting ready to take off, yep. and, and she was becoming a bigger star. Everyone kind of bands together. They negotiate. They're making a million dollars an episode. They're making some pretty good money still today. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that at some point. But the, the, 10, 10 was it. I think that's why when you ask them to this day, is there going to be a reunion? Is there going to be a, you know, a movie? And everyone qu- quickly says, no, it's, it's been done. It's, there's it's, no point. There's no point. It ended fine. Yeah. Anything you would do at this point only serves to potentially ruin, you know, it's like to go back to how I met your mother. You know, yep. How I Met Your Mother could have very well ended with, and that's how I met your mother. That's right. But instead, it was almost like the last 15 minutes of the finale was the reunion show. Yes. And we had to find out that, oh, the mother dies, and, oh, we end up with, you know, Barney and Robin divorcing, and now Ted ends up with Robin. And, well, okay, I can get behind that to some degree, I guess, but you cheated me. Yes. You didn't give me what you kind of promised me you were going to give me. And I think that's what a reunion show would only serve to accomplish. I mean, a reunion show should only exist if there's fan service that still needs to be done. And Friends gave enough of its fan service on the way out the door. You got the relationship you wanted. They left the apartments and, and moved on with their lives. Okay, we can we can take a step away from this. Now a show that gets it wrong and wants to come back and do it, like some people didn't like Seinfeld ending, so they put them on Curb Your Enthusiasm and found a way to kind of do something a little bit different but give you those characters one more time in certain ways, okay, you can pull that off. But there are many shows that don't stick the landing where then maybe you're left with, I wish they would come back. But if you really stop to think about it, the reason they didn't stick the landing is because the two seasons before, they didn't know what they were doing either. Not that they didn't know, but they weren't confident in it or it just it was not happening. The Office is a good example of where they got it right in the very end after about a season and a half of totally not getting it right when they should have ended it seasons before, and that's what you're talking about here. It's tough to pull off 24-episode seasons for 10 years. Incredibly difficult to do that. And the reason you get the opportunity to do that is when the ratings are just utterly through the roof. Season 7, the premiere was 25.54 million viewers. 30.05 watched the finale that year. And then in eight, it didn't drop off. It was still pretty good. It was an average of 24.5. The premiere was 31 million. It finished at 34.9. No episode finished lower than three in that Nielsen week. It was the most watched show in the, in the 01 02 season with a 21.1 rating and a 34 share for the finale. I mean, the show was doing and the, gangbuster and, numbers. And to shoot holes in the show now is much easier in oh, hindsight. Yeah. But in the moment, it's still a very entertaining show. It's the best show on television, arguably. It's the best comedic sitcom on television. And that wasn't changing. Despite the fact that they might have been digging a little deeper for storylines, and, and despite the fact that you're still kind of chasing that $20 bill, to use your analogy. Yeah, I mean, you're basically just, look, you're watching for a couple of things to happen. I was trying to come up with the example, the one that, that has stood out to me the most. Modern Family was funny for a while. Then there was only one thing I cared about left to do on that show, and that was Haley and the dude from Workaholics, Adam, whatever his name is. They were doing this deal where they were going to have this little relationship going, okay, I'm kind of invested in that. I want to see that have a happy ending. 
they took that dude off the show and moved on. I was like, okay, we're done here. Like that was the last thing that I had any investment in. And I think that's more the jump the shark deal is when is it that I'm not invested in these people anymore? When is it that I can accept that I've seen enough from them, except I just want to see the biggest stuff. If you can tell me in a year from now, we're going to do this with these two characters that you care about, then I'll come back in a year, but I don't really want to watch the rest of this stuff because there's a bunch of new shows on and there's stuff that's, that's doing more inventive things eventually I've just kind of had my fill. And so Jump the Shark is more past its prime to me than it is sort of the way the Wikipedia definition and maybe the way that it was originally conceived to be. It was, But it was, the Jump the Shark deal, the reason why it came about was it was such an outlandish thing that totally changed the tone of what that show did. Friends didn't necessarily change its tone. They just got old. Like they got old and their lives started to take over and we got to a natural conclusion. Like Monica and Chandler get married at the end of seven. That's kind of the end of their run. Like, okay, now they're happily ever after and we can move on from there. Then all that's really left is Rachel and Ross because they haven't done enough with Phoebe yet to make me care about her plight. I want to see how it ends. It's, you know, Hank Azaria and then here comes Paul Rudd and, and it's fun. And then Joey's just kind of there. And then so the other four are, you kind of already know how it's going to go. So then you're just watching to see, well, how funny can they make it when I am watching it? And they did do, in general, a better job than most at still making the show worth 21 minutes of oh, your time. absolutely. Again, 21 minutes of Friends is a lot better, oh, yeah. even at its worst, is a lot better than just about anything else. Let me ask you this. One thing that came up in watching Season 7, and I tried it myself, and I'd like to encourage anyone listening to okay. do the same. It's Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of a contest going on as to whether you could name all 50 yes. states. Ross wanted to do that badly. And Ross wants to do it really badly. And the idea, I mean, if you have a map in front of you, it's easier. But to sit down on a piece of paper, write the numbers 1 through 50, and then just name all 50 states, it's harder than you would think. So I tried it. And I thought, I'm going to get all 50 states. I'm pretty positive I would. My son is currently learning the map since yeah. we've been going over it. I got 49. I got 49, and I, I, I probably could have thought about it for a while and come Put up with confusion 50. down and say that was 50. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, East Dakota. No, yeah. but. Um, so what did you miss? Vermont. Yeah. Yeah, I paired New Hampshire and Delaware together in my mind. Bernie Sanders, not happy with not you. Not happy. So I would encourage any of you to try that. Be honest about it. No cheating. And tweet at jmartzone and let us know how you did. It's harder It's harder than you think. One thing we didn't hit last week that you said, you mentioned it, and I thought we were going to get to it, and then I think we just forgot to go back to it, was you were talking about how Friends didn't talk itself into plot holes, didn't write itself into various plot holes. I, I had that theory. And then you said, I'm thinking maybe I was wrong about that. Yeah, and, the, and I think what you're starting to see on a couple of things are just Comments that are kind of fast and loose. So uh, there's an example. So there's the episode where Chandler doesn't like dogs. Yeah. And so they point out that Ross doesn't like ice cream. And yet there are a couple of other episodes where he's like eating ice cream and, and he's like making a kind of a thing about it. Like, yeah, I got some ice cream. And so plot hole, small plot hole, but plot hole. Another one that keeps coming up are people's birthdays. Yeah, well, Rachel's age is totally wrong. All over the place. Totally wrong. All over the place. Yeah, I actually took this from an article that I was reading, the article where they all turned 30. 
and they, you know, they go back or the episode where they all turn 30 and then they go back and they start thinking about what happened and all these kinds of things. Well, if you go back to 96, that's season three, episode 10, the one where Rachel quits, Chandler says Rachel is 28. Right. So she should be 33. Yes. In this episode. And in seasons four and five, it says Rachel was born on May 5th, not in the wintertime. And this is an episode that happened in February. So I know that's minor and you're going to have things like that happen, but there are also things that, are, that, that big fans are going to immediately point to and they're going to remember. And so those are a few examples. The ice cream is a pretty good one because I do remember very clearly Ross enjoying ice cream at different times. It also doesn't make sense that Ross wouldn't like ice cream because only masochists would not like ice cream. Sure. And, then, no, and no reason for that. There are small continuity errors that I don't even think you can can liken as to a plot hole, but the, the numbers of the apartments changed at, at one point early because when the season, well, when the series first started, Monica and Rachel lived in apartment number five. And the writers looked at it and they're like, well, but they're not on the bottom floor. They wouldn't have a number so low, so they changed it to 20. And the apartment across the hall, which had been apartment four, was now apartment 19. So there are little changes like that that just kind of happen right in front of your eyes. You never even see them. But there are, there, there are more and more. And, and again, going back to your point, 24 seasons for 10 years, you're bound to kind of tie yourself into some knots. Yeah, I mean, it's 240. I mean, it's a ton of episodes. The one thing that they did do well was there were a lot of episodes toward the end of the series where they went back and retold history. Yes. And when they did that, they generally did not create continuity problems with those things. They were careful as to not undo something that had already been done and, and give you a, a new piece. So, so, for example, the, the Thanksgiving where Ross and Chandler go to the Geller's house for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's where you, where you realize that Chandler hates Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. More turkey, Mr. Chandler. That's the episode. That's yeah. the line from that I, I, I remember. But that's also where he gets his toe cut off by Monica. So for, I'm going to say, four and a half seasons, we didn't realize that he'd had a toe cut off and that Monica had done it. That had never come up. Yeah, I can accept that, I guess. But it was, it was an interesting piece of information, you know, that she brought the baby carrot as opposed to the toe and they couldn't sew him back up. And, you know, it, it ultimately kind of galvanized their relationship. Yeah. And it was kind of at the point where he's saying, I love you and, you know, but they kind of w- went back and redid the whole I love you thing when they had the, the episode where everybody finds out and, you know, they don't know that we know they know we know. Yeah. So give them kudos to that. i tell you the one thing they do, though, and I don't know if it came down to budget, if it came down to storytelling, if it came down to filling time. There are a lot of Friends episodes that have about four new scenes. And the entire episode is stitched together with flashbacks. Have you noticed that? Yeah, there there are increasingly. There are at least four where the majority of the episode is old footage that were just... uh, The one that that I saw just the other night was when Joey is giving the interview to Soap Opera Digest. Yes, and he doesn't want the same thing to happen again that happened before. He doesn't want to screw up. And so tell us about you. And so three-quarters of that episode... Is 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 Joey? Yeah. The interesting thing about that as well is the only two set pieces that happen on that show are Central Perk 
and the apartment. Those are the ones that were in every episode. And those are the ones that are in every episode. I read a really interesting article. I need to send this to you as well. Yeah. It was kind of just a Q&A, and, mm-hmm. and it was people who had you know, never seen a, a production of Friends, and they said, you know, what's the set? What does it look like? How is it laid out? And well, it's an apartment building. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's an actual apartment building. No, it's, you know, it's in Los Angeles, or it was in Los Angeles on the Warner Brothers lot. And the only two sets that they left standing all the time were the apartment and Central Perk. The interesting things that I found out about the apartment, which to me, because I, I'm a nerd for this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, is the Rachel and Monica's bedrooms are complete dummy doors. Yep. They lead nowhere. And if you look... When they shoot things in Monica's room, the little, uh, what do you call, like the folding wall, you know what I'm talking about? The little yeah. pop-up wall right. isn't actually in there in, in most of the episodes. Right. But you can see it in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And, and Rachel's room is obviously different as well. Those are just half walls to just, if the door's open, you can't see through. On the other side of that wall is Central Perk. Yeah, that'd be cool to have a coffee shop. It really would. Right there would be, just, be yeah. great. So, and the other a couple things that I found really interesting about that is that the, the, the large framed poster above their television, they would remove it, and there was a hole in the wall where they could shoot shots from angles that they couldn't reach otherwise. And lastly, the infamous closet in the back of the apartment mm-hmm. that Chandler eventually finds is yeah, full which of, happens in these full in of one junk. of these seasons, yeah, yeah, full of junk. That's just a door to the backstage area. Their their fridge was fully stocked. It was an actual working fridge. The fridge in Joey and, and, and Chandler's apartment, I, I can't recall if they said it worked, but they never had anything in it. Mm-hmm. So they said Joey coming into Chandler, or to Monica and Rachel's apartment and stealing stuff out of their fridge was pretty normal throughout a, a day of taping. The guest stars in season seven, pretty good list. Denise Richards, Winona Ryder, Gabrielle Union, Jason Alexander, Gary Oldman, Kristen Davis, Hank Azaria, of course, comes back. And then there's Susan Sarandon. There's an interesting story surrounding the Susan Sarandon episode, which is Matt LeBlanc was afraid to work with Susan Sarandon for a couple of reasons. One, because it's Susan Sarandon, who pretty high up actress and high expectations, but also because Tim Robbins was on set watching them like a hawk. And everybody was sort of antsy because, let's just be real here, Tim Robbins is a little bit, intimidating you could say that and so was his wife sure. Susan Sarandon so obviously they wanted to make sure this was taken there so it, there's there are stories about how Matt LeBlanc was like super careful and super nervous the whole time that he was out there with Susan Sarandon it's an interesting nugget I, I guess I could understand the the apprehension yeah well if if Tim Robbins is watching me I'm I'm I'm, I'm being a little bit more careful but that's a that's a good list and they all did stuff like Winona Ryder played the former roommate, and Denise Richards played exactly what you would expect Denise Richards to play. Generally speaking, Gary Oldman's character was great towards the end of the year with the with the World War II movie and being drunk and spitting all over Joey. Right, right. And then, of course, leading to, like I told you, when you have a wedding in a sitcom, it's going to look weird. They're going to do things to make it so it's not normal. So, of course... Joey's going to officiate the wedding wearing a World War II uniform. Acting out scenes with Gary Oldman where Gary Oldman is spitting on him in every take. Because, yes. Because uh, serious actors enunciate. <laughs> that was... <laughs> so one they're of, spitting all over each other by the end of the scene. One of my favorite uh, secondary plot lines in season seven was Phoebe getting the bike 
I love that episode. I just love like the trust factor and all that they kind of played into it. It's it's kind of up there with the running episode. I like both of those little secondary Phoebe plot lines. Apparently, when she exercises, I'm a fan. When yeah, well, when Phoebe um, falls the first time on yeah. the bike, it's still a laugh out loud moment. For yes, me. but just just the awkwardness of the fall and how it clearly she has no idea how to ride a bicycle. Yeah, and I remember falling when yeah. I rode a bicycle yeah. as well. It happened. Yes. Um, Ross and Joey napping together in season seven, figuring out that they like napping together. They they went some interesting routes. Mac and cheese got canceled. I'm not going to do the acronym for cheese again, mainly because I don't have it sitting in front of me. Yeah, but it turns out Mac and Cheese was a pretty horrible show. Um, like well, once, of course it was. Well, once 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 Joey once all of the it. friends saw it on television, they were like, "Oh, this show's awful." I mean, who was surprised by this? Nah, nobody really. I mean, come on. Um, Joey's still struggling actor. He's not getting the greatest roles in the world. The practical jokester, Ben. Yeah. That was pretty good. Oh, crap. Yeah. That's what I come back to. And I, the school library episode with Ross's book <laughs> is just, that's a perfect Ross episode. Yes. Because Ross is such a tragic figure. Even when things are going right, something else is going wrong. So his books in the library, he's all excited about it. Then he finds out, no, it's basically the sin bin in that library. It's the hookup spot, and that just kind of wrecks all of it. You know, he he really is a relationship nightmare. Yes. So, but for a guy who is so awkward, and it's established that he has no game when he tries Zero. to when he tries to pick up the pizza delivery girl, and he there's an episode I believe in season eight with Mona. Yep. Where they're trying to kind of establish their relationship, and he. He can't tell her that, you know, I'm just happy with where things are. He ends up giving her a key to the apartment. Then he has the locks changed. and He's really bad. Mm-hmm. But yet, he's, he's landed, he, he landed Carol. Yep. He, he landed Rachel. Yep. He landed Julie. Yep. Emily. Yep. Mona. Yep. I mean, he's had some success in relationships for a guy who's painfully awkward in those, in terms of how he's presented. I mean, you would expect him to go after his faded salmon shirt. You wouldn't expect him to land some of the people that he lands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like people would eventually talk. <laughs> Word gets around when you're crawling around looking for your salmon shirt in your ex-girlfriend's apartment. Where does tag fall in your list of, I don't care about this character. This character's obnoxious to me. He's not near pretty the top low. of mine. No, He's not. Pretty low. He's sort I, of innocuous. I didn't, I didn't mind tag. I thought that tag was funny for what he was worth um didn't really change their world all that much you know some questionable decisions there by rachel well they had the deal where it looked like maybe he was the father there for a short moment i knew for a fact that wasn't what it was going to turn out to be funny enough when when phoebe finds out that it's mon when phoebe finds out that it's rachel that's pregnant the first two people she asks is it tag is it ross yeah and you would think if ultimately we're going to end up to the, it's Ross's, we wouldn't kind of throw that out there like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and the tag callback in season eight when she's looking to tell the father, the, you know, the owner of the red sweater, is is a great tease because for for a moment when she goes into the coffee shop and he's sitting there, you believe that okay, well this this could actually be the case, right? And then he unzips the jacket and he's wearing the red sweater, and you know. 
I, I still go back to the line that uh, Jennifer Aniston gives, which is, you do wear that sweater a lot. Are you part of some kind of dare? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in radio, we would say that that sweater is in heavy rotation. Yeah, very heavy rotation, yes. Um, Monica's boots as we move into season eight, just another secondary plot line. The only reason I mention that is because boots played a role multiple times in this show. Remember Rachel with no money in the pilot. I've got new boots boots. Yes, these are my I've got new boots boots. And Monica spends a ton of money on boots eight years later and feels like she has to wear them all the time for it to be worth it because we've already figured out that Chandler's pretty tight with money or pretty worried about money. Maybe not tight. He's worried about money. Like the whole idea in season seven of whether or not he can pay for the wedding or whether or not he's going to pay for the wedding. Like he's being very practical about these things. So in similar fashion to Rachel blowing money she didn't have on boots – Monica here does the same thing, and then they do a funny deal where they're the most uncomfortable things in the world, right. and she's still trying to wear them. Yeah. So that that was a that was one that I enjoyed. Um, There's another callback to Boots in, in season nine. What was that? It's very small, but there's there, that one. there's an episode where Richard's apartment is uh, for sale. Okay. Yeah. And, and Chandler takes Joey to look at the apartment, yep. and they find a tape with Monica's name on it, and the belief is that it's a sex tape. Right. That, that Richard and Monica have made a sex tape, and he's held on to it for all these years. And so Chandler steals the tape, takes it to his apartment, can't resist. He's got to watch it. He's got to know if, if it is. Puts the tape in. It's a football game that quickly changes into a sex tape. Monica walks in. What are you doing? Is that Richard? And the, and the argument ensues. And so the line that is eventually uttered is, you didn't even take off your cowboy boots. And she says... I don't own any cowboy boots. And it turns out it's not her. And she says, he taped over me. Another reference to boots. Yeah, so three times boots came up during the course of this show. And we haven't even gotten to season 10 yet. Maybe yeah. the whole thing's about boots. And I've forgotten all about it. <laughs> In season eight, Toby Bing makes an appearance. Well, Chandler Bing, that the one person believes his name is Toby. That's right. That's a perfect, that's a perfect Chandler deal where Chandler always feels like sort of nobody's paying attention to him unless they think he's gay, which happens a number of different times during the show. Can I share a story that happened like that in our building? Sure. This, this actually goes back a while. JT produces 3HL. Mm-hmm. JT is in the restroom at our old building across town. And um, I'm not going to sell out who it was, but there was an older salesman who came into the bathroom. And JT starts to wash his hands Older gentleman walks up to the urinal, and, and, and as JT's washing his hands, the gentleman kind of gestures over to him and says, hey, what's going on, Tim? <laughs> to which JT is, is too polite to say, my name's not Tim. And he says, oh, not much, you know, just doing okay. And he dries his hands off, and he leaves the bathroom. So the next day, when the same salesman sees JT in the hall, he's now a confident now it's definitely Tim. And so he's like, hey, Tim, what's happening? Hey, Timmy. And so it, it, I go back to that every time I see this episode, that there, there comes a point where if you don't correct someone on the name, you almost just have to accept the fact that they're never going to call you, and you can't correct them. Yeah, because if you do it after that, they're going to feel like the biggest jerk in the world yeah, and, for and month after month. Why didn't you correct me? Yeah, like all you had to do the first time I said that was say, no, my name is Chandler. Yeah, and JT is still Tim. To a lot of us. Well, he's going to be Tim for me for the rest of time. <laughs> Never calling him JT again. He's, um, he's just Tim. Yeah. So pornography made its way back in. It wasn't porn. It turned out to be a birthing video. Oh, that's right. 
I think I skipped over that one in my reintroduction to Friends. Well, it ruined Valentine's Day. <laughs> Valentine's Day blows anyway. <laughs> uh, the secret closets that you were mentioning, that happens in a yes. the secret hoarder, basically, that is Monica, which I think is perfect for Monica as well, as appearances matter so much to her. Just like when she got criticized in the uh, the post and ends up joining the cooking class. Yes. Like stuff like that. Like she can't let anything go. She has, to, and that's been her character pretty much from the get go. So it does not change. Again, these people are still who they've always been. Life has gotten in the way and changed them to a little bit, but they're still generally the same people. Um, Aniston actually won an Emmy in season eight for the birth episode, which was the season finale, which was excellent. Absolutely an excellent double episode. Yes. Let me ask a question about Monica. At what point did she become so shrill? Because she, she, that character underwent a change, a slow burn, nothing where anything flipped a switch. I'm not even sure I have an answer as to, you know, is there an episode where that happened? But at some point, she became the Monica that was really loud and really competitive. And it might have started with the football episode where they actually played the game out, outside. It was pretty early. It was definitely pretty – when was the football episode? Was that like two or three? Two or three. Yeah, it was definitely really early on. And then I, I think that maybe it would come and go for a while. Like sometimes they would emphasize it, sometimes they wouldn't. And then all of a sudden it just became part of who she was. Right. I mean, eventually we got to the Monica that was playing ping pong. Right, <laughs> yes. Which was with the, the most. With the fried hair. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, that character I think was always had that in her. And I think you could actually – not that they did this intentionally, but you can point to the way that her parents always favored Ross. And you could say, all right, well, Monica always felt inferior. So she felt like she was constantly in competition with her brother for her parents' affections. So that letter there, that's me going down a pathway that I'm sure Kevin Bright and Marta Crane and, or Marta Kaufman and all those people probably were not going down. But I think that it actually makes sense for Monica's history that she would have done that because she always did feel inferior. She was overweight. She wasn't the one that everybody wanted to take to the prom, and Ross was the favored child. At one point, Rachel says that, that Ross's mom at one point had said, you're like the daughter I never had. Like, to Monica. Right. <laughs> Monica's like, excuse me? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that continually gets reinforced. Sean Penn, Alec Baldwin, Brad Pitt in season eight. Alec Baldwin was something else. The just relentlessly enthusiastic yes. character that played through. Um, Brad Pitt was just kind of one of those. It was similar to the episode where Monica finally got to tell off the guy from high school. So now you've got Brad Pitt that Rachel believed was just the loser, just like Ross was. Yes. Turned out, no, he's actually Brad Pitt. Right. And so everything kind of shifted and there. They're, and they're married in real life at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Which, Which is why, I mean, you know, everyone wanted to see that episode, to see the interplay. And they did a great job of, of, of writing the episode around the idea that, he hates her because of the way she treated him in high school. Yeah. So it, it, that made for a really entertaining episode. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Phoebe and Ursula comes back in season eight just for a minute, just for Sean Penn's character to make sense. Basically, Phoebe loves the idea that someone else hates Ursula, doesn't think anything good about Ursula. So that's all popping out at the same time. The Mona, Mona lasted longer than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, when Mona when Mona comes back and and kind of into the main storyline and Ross really doesn't know what to do with their relationship. Yeah. I swear to you. I swear to you there are a handful of episodes 
that just simply don't run in syndication. I'm telling you, I, I most of my friends viewing before last year would come through syndication. Sure. Now it's very heavy Netflix. Sure. I, I contend that there are a handful of episodes that for one reason or another simply don't get shown in syndication. Probably true. I just wonder why. I don't know. I don't know if it's like a conscious decision where people associated with the show just don't want those to air. I don't know. But I don't remember Mona being shown a whole lot in syndication. No. At all. She's at the wedding. And right. she is, uh, she's in the coffee house when, when Ross returns. And she's in the episode where Ross goes to fetch his salmon-colored shirt. Exactly. And those are the ones that kind of stand out that you remember her for. Like, you know, the joint Christmas cards and things like that. Those You just don't remember a whole lot of that stuff. I do remember Ms. Pac-Man, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I always remember the, the, the episode of a sitcom with an arcade machine. Yeah, I remember well, news radio when they got that uh, whatever Defender that everybody stayed up all night playing. I remember the Frogger episode of Seinfeld, very much so with George yes. trying to cross the street and them showing the bird's eye view that basically was Frogger, another one of my all-time favorites towards the end of that run. And then there's Phoebe giving the late, the Ms. Pac-Man gift that, again, shows the competitive streak of Monica and gives Chandler a chance to make immature jokes. Yes. And, and, and gives Chandler the claw. That's right. Because he plays it for so long to try to get good at it, and he does. And he basically sets every high score and makes all the high scores dirty words. Another good one is Bamboozled. Bamboozled's not one you see a lot. No, but it's just nuts. Yes. Like, just a game show that makes absolutely no sense. It's, like, perfect for Joey to have been the host of that absolutely. show. Absolutely, It's it's hilarious. I kind of wish it existed. <laughs> just do a half a season of it. Like, it probably would have been better than whatever was on NBC right after Friends. Just run run bamboozled. It makes total sense. What was the card game that Chandler taught Joey oh. where he sits down and he's like, what do you have? And he's like, a two. What do you have? A seven. Oh, the two wins. Why? Oh, it's just that's how this game is played. Yeah, what was it they were t- He was trying to he was give trying him money, to loan right? Him money. Yeah, right. Trying to loan him money. Joey was too proud to take a loan, so he was going to let him win it from him. Yeah. Then Joey goes across the hall and plays the game with Ross and promptly loses all that money because he's playing a game he has no idea what the rules are. Uh, There are no rules. It's just made up. I was trying to figure out, or I was looking it up to see if I could think of the name. It was called Cups. Cups. The card game named Cups. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Well, of course it does. It's Joey. All Chandler has to do is find something in the room and say, yeah, it's a microphone. That's the name of this card game, (laughs) just because I'm staring at a microphone right now. Um, What else was going on during season eight? The baby shower happens. Mom's going to stay around. Rachel thinks she has maternal instincts, doesn't have maternal instincts at all. That's something that happens on a lot of sitcoms also, is the person that's about to have the child thinks they can't do it. That's just, And I think that's actually more like real life, because I think most – uh, not being one that's ever birthed a child, but I feel like I'm many. I'm sure you can. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do the other side of that job. <laughs> Look forward to doing I that. Mean, I'm no expert, but I don't think you can. Yeah, but that's something that happens, I think, in real life. Everybody's like, or, am I ready to be a parent? And then I think I've always heard, and hopefully I'll, I'll have an experience of this in the near future, it's just kind of like once the baby is there, you're in- ready to be a parent. takes over. Yeah, you just, it's it's kind of one of those kind of moments. But they still found a way to, like Ross getting hit on in the baby department store, for yes. instance, later on, and just how upset Rachel got about that whole the story. The sales girl says he's like Indiana Jones. Yeah, which is not something anyone ever needs to say about Ross Geller. No. Uh, we've seen too much of Ross Geller. We've seen eight seasons of Ross Geller. I'm telling you right now, 
He's not Indiana Jones. <laughs> not even close. No. Not in any respect at all. So eight, eight is the one that many rankings say is the best season of Friends, just in terms of being an entertaining season. And there was a lot of drama because you end the season with the birth of Emma and you end the season with the accidental proposal to Rachel because of where Joey happened to be standing and it was actually Judy Geller's engagement ring. And going back to our our working theory, another Ross and Rachel roadblock. This is this is the one that when this happened, I was actually angry about this. Well, because I did not want to see, I didn't want to have to root against Joey. Right. And that's kind of what it made you do. Well, they've given us Ross and Rachel in terms of having a child and they've introduced this idea that you have a child, and, and Judy Geller is telling Ross, you know, you, sh- you should propose. That's what you should do. And he says, no, I don't want to. And she says, just keep the ring. And, and, and you can see, like, the, the thought process. And he's thinking, you know what? We are in a really good place, and, you know, be great for the child. All the things that go with this. And it, the rug's kind of pulled right out from under you. Right. As, as, a, as a viewer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see, I can see the point of, of, of anger there. So then here comes season nine. Season 9, Tulsa happens. It ends in Barbados. The Tulsa thing was just kind of – that was another one of those where it's just like, okay, we're, we're running out feel, here. We're felt, on fumes it now. It felt like filler. It did. I, I, I really, to this day, still see no real reason for Tulsa. I mean, unless you just wanted to look at Selma Blair, which, I mean, I get it. She is the second prettiest girl in Oklahoma. <laughs> is that what the line was? Yes. The second prettiest girl in Oklahoma. Paul Rudd, Aisha Tyler – Dermot Mulroney, Freddie Prince Jr. plays the nanny, and that's a fun episode. I enjoyed that one a lot. Selma Blair, John Stamos pops up. Jeff Goldblum pops up in that season as well. And again, the premiere does thirty-one million or thirty-four million. The finale only does twenty-five. That tells me a lot right there, because that's not generally what you saw. If you look at season eight, it went from thirty-one to thirty-four point nine in the finale. When you got to the end of season nine, we're talking. Almost a 9 million viewer less people watching it. I think this is when you can definitely say it jumped. If you didn't think it jumped before, this is when they started to push their luck a little bit. This is when, all right, we're nine seasons in. Can we please get to the end of this? Something I've noticed over the last three seasons, and again, this week we're discussing seasons seven, eight, and nine primarily, is that in those three seasons – in many respects, the show became hyper-sexualized. Agreed. And, and to a point where there, there's humor there, but there's also some kind of discomfort there. Yeah. Um, the show is always about single people living in New York, dating each other, sleeping with each yeah. other, all those kinds of things. But, but it, it never seemed as overt until seasons eight and nine primarily. We're talking. We're talking about you know Monica and Chandler trying to get pregnant, and you know he shows up from being in Tulsa, and she's wearing lingerie, and there are lots of kind of in-your-face sexual charged moments. I think this is reflecting of the culture. There's there's, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth. To that. I got two kids under the age of ten. I will watch seasons one through four and right. feel okay about it. Yeah. being on and not getting asked awkward questions. Right. The last three seasons, I've had to kind of stop on a couple of occasions because I know the line that's coming. Yep. And I'm like, let's redirect a moment. Let's have you go over here and then let me finish this episode 
just so I know what I'm talking about here. But that was kind of a note I made to myself that especially as we reached season nine, perhaps it was more of a reflection of society. Perhaps it was more of a, a storytelling crutch. But but that's what I found as the show wore on. What happens? You have to push the envelope more because right. you've done everything else to death. That's why the stories get outlandish. That's why all of a sudden four people die in a season of a drama out of nowhere in the middle of a plane crash because they need something. That's why Fast and Furious is going to end up in space <laughs> because there's going to be nothing left. And I'm going to watch that movie, and I'm going to be very excited about it once they get to it. But if you start to look at just some of the things that were happening in season nine, it just got very weird. A lot of things popped up, and they still got some things right, too. Like I actually enjoy the way that they introduced Paul Rudd's character mm-hmm. to the show because it's so very... This could actually happen. Accidental. Yeah. Blind set up that, all right, this is not going to work. It turns out to be exactly what's, you know, Phoebe's looking for because you never know how you're supposed to meet whoever you're supposed to be with. I mean, I used to make fun of online dating. I'm not going to do that anymore. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are going on. And then Lowell the mugger <laughs> and finding out that Phoebe mugged Ross I'm still a big fan of that. I, I like that. Because it's, I mean, it's dumb, but I liked it anyway. I can suspend the disbelief that she's never made that connection because they were both so young when that happened and they had no connection prior to that. But yeah, I, I always get a kick out of Ross kind of realizing and, and, and she kind of realizing that she had mugged him so many years ago and she still had the, you know, the, the crap from the street box yeah. that was full of things and she had kept Science Boy. Science boy, that's whose, right. Whose power was an insatiable need for knowledge. Right. How about Ross still going to his pediatrician as an adult? <laughs> Trying to hit on moms in, oh. the, uh, in the waiting room. Dr. Gettleman was the name of the pediatrician. Dr. Gettleman. Yeah. And then that's porn. A good, that's a good trivia question. It is. And then porn, again. Chandler in the hotel TV has to switch it to the shark documentary. Monica thinks that it's sharks that... Get the job done. That's a little bit on the nose if you want to talk about jumping the shark. Yes. another Perhaps. Just another moment. Yeah. Christina Applegate comes in and does her role and wins an Emmy for it. She won for she, Best Guest Star that year, and another, deservedly so. She was really good. Another sister of Rachel. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of siblings starting to pop up also later in sitcoms. You've got to find something else uh, that, that happens. Well, we phased out Ursula for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Well, that was fine. I mean, she was never like that big of a role anyway. She actually, I think only appeared in like eight episodes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, out of what? 200? Yeah. 200 some odd. I mean, that's not very many though. When you watch the first few seasons, you would swear she appeared in more. Yeah. I mean, cause it was pretty heavy there for a while. You had the Joey Rachel thing kind of Joey sort of admitted his crush beforehand, and then you get to season nine, and they're watching the scenes being practiced for Joey, and all of a sudden Rachel starts to feel. And that's when I was just kind of like, I don't want to go down this pathway. So I don't want this to happen. They teased that a season before. Right, that's what you're right. When Rachel the opposite. Was, Rachel was pregnant, and so everything, her hormones were out of whack, and so every every guy, you know, she was just kind of looking for a, a fling. And she tells that to Joey, and you can see that there's this moment, and she almost kind of admits that, like, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking for, you know, no strings attached, somebody I'm comfortable with, and they both kind of freak out about it, and they run away from it. And so to come back to that in season nine, it, it, never, it never quite clicked for me. 
No. Because you never really wanted to see the two of them together. No. And you knew when you get to Barbados and after you meet Aisha Tyler's character, Charlie, you recognize, oh, wait, she's not right at all for Joey. No. And then you're like, oh, well, you know what this is about to be? This is about to be a roadblock. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what it was. We need a sound effect. Roadblock. Every yeah. time something shows up. It would, yeah. you'd, we'd be playing it a lot. Yes, you would. And just the idea that she's only dated Nobel Prize winners in her life. It's like, first, Ross wouldn't qualify, but Joey definitely. Like, no. the only prizes he knows about are in Cracker Jack boxes. Wow. That's probably a joke they should have used. Honestly, I could have pulled that one out. But, I, I mean, I still found season nine to be entertaining but when you go back and you look at some of the things that were going on, it's just you can tell that they are having to really stretch the boundaries of credibility to keep this thing on the rails. And at times it still feels like it's about to go off the track. Well, I, I mentioned this earlier in this podcast. There's an episode with Jeff Goldblum. Yep, the Broadway. It's yep. a Broadway play. And then Joey gets an audition for it, and Joey goes in, and he's drank a few too much, uh, a few too many yoo-hoos. Yeah. And he has to pee during the audition. And Jeff Goldblum loves his audition because he's he's antsy. He's frantic. And, he's yeah. frantic. and so um, you know, he, so he goes back and he does the audition again. And it's funny to watch the audition; it's horrible because he says all of his lines way too fast. And he's you know, I got to go. Pee. Right. And then at the end of the episode, he gives him a hug. Congratulations, you did it. And the insinuation is made that he he relieves himself right there in the moment. That's a story they easily could have told in season three. That it just kind of felt like. All right, we need another kind of weird actor story for Joey. We need something for Joey to do. We got to have him busy. Yeah. It's time for something. Yeah. And usually when you're getting to that point, all right, let's get to our end point. Uh, lottery tickets, another one I enjoyed in season nine. I was a fan of that episode. Yeah, I liked how they kind of all revolted on each other. And yes. Monica's squirreling away, you know, 20 extra tickets that are just for she and Chandler. Yes. There's a little bit of a reflection of society there. Exactly. I mean, you see that happen. And this is another one where you've got everybody together doing things that aren't necessarily revolving around sex, which is what the show did devolve into. Sure. I sometimes find that the best episodes are the ones where they rarely leave those two apartments. Oh, I agree. Definitely agree. And they had their share of clip shows going as well during this time frame. A lot of the greatest hits of Friends kind of deals most shows eventually get to that point. Most sitcoms get to that point. Friends did it more often than a lot. Of course, they also had 10 seasons, which is more than most. And and frankly, some of those episodes in seasons, you know, eight, nine, whatever, later, were actually some of the more fun ones to watch because they would remind you, yes. you know, of all the reasons that you kind of came to love these characters. Yeah, and maybe it worked for some people to get them reinvested. Like, oh, yeah, I still love these characters. I, I remember this, and now I actually care about them again. That's where I wonder if, it, if, it's, a, if it's an organized plan to re-educate. Right, yeah. to reignite, to, to, to bring a new audience and kind of reintroduce these characters at their, at their core base, or if it's just a filler, ta- a filler tactic to get us to 24 episodes. Yeah, and I'm not clear on that. I'm not even sure who you'd who you'd be able to talk to other than a writer that would be able to say to you, you know. But there were episodes, the the episode I believe in season three where everyone is late. Yeah, that's yes. And they never leave the apartment. Yeah, that's a good one. And really the reason good. that they did that episode is because they didn't have the budget. Yeah, which is kind of incredible considering yeah. the show. Considering the show, they had they they were working on a limited budget. They had to have an episode where really the only thing that happened was inside that apartment. 
and is one of the better one of the better episodes of all time. But like I was telling you in season eight, no episode ranked lower than third in Nielsen ratings for the week. Still well, killing it. Yeah. So season nine, I told you, dropped about nine million from thirty four in the premiere to twenty five point four six in the finale. Well, they had two weeks where they were number four uh, in the Nielsen ratings, and one where they were number eight. So we were starting to see. All right, this show is beginning to maybe the audience is starting to fatigue. they've had their fill yeah. of this show. And the actors I think were probably having their fill at this point as well. It's still a good show, but there's no way to discuss it at this point without beginning to say thank goodness it only ran 10. Thank goodness it didn't run 11. I mean Big Bang, I'm not even sure how long Big Bang is going to end up running. I mean I think that it's about to end its run, but it's either 11 or 12 seasons in. That's insanity. It really is. It's utterly insanity, and it's been near the top of the ratings pretty much the entire time. So, I mean, more power to them for being able to pull that off. Most shows fall completely apart by that point. But season 10 needed to be a wrap. And when we got to Barbados, I was just like, it was, it's never an episode. These are not episodes that I like because I know what I'm about to see. And I know that we've got to do one thing so that we can get one more season out of this. And to do that, we've got to make sure that this Joey thing is there, create conflict with Ross and Joey, bring another love interest into Ross's life that's not going to stick around, but it's going to irritate the crap out of everybody. It was very, this is where it felt artificial to me to keep it alive. We are both professional wrestling fans. We are indeed, yes. And you would tell me if you disagree that generally, the best finishes every year at WrestleMania are the main event finishes that end with the baby face, the good guy, overcoming all the odds mm-hmm. and wrapping up a storyline mm-hmm. in a positive manner. Yep. And the ones that kind of leave you scratching your head are the ones that end where the bad guy, the heel, ends up winning and you just kind of feel unfulfilled. Like, like we haven't really finished anything. Well, I mean, it never used to. I mean, WrestleMania always used to be the reward for the fans for watching for a year, watching their heroes be cheated and screwed over. So on that night, that top hero, that baby face, would finally get his due, and he would leave with the championship, and he would be the one celebrating in the end. That, they wanted you to get this positive deal, and then the next year would start either the a, next day on TV or the next week back in the day. It was their season finale. Yes. And, and you would almost always see that kind of end in a positive manner. You only had to wait 24 hours for the next season to start. Right. Season 9's finale on Friends feels like one of those years at WrestleMania where the bad guy ends up leaving as the winner, and the only thing you feel like you've been given is a reason to watch the next one, only to see how we start to resolve these things. Yeah, or when you watch a movie and you know it's setting up the next movie. Right. Like The Crimes of Grindelwald, which was the Harry Potter film, the Fantastic Beast film that came out in November. I know you've never read a book and never watched a Harry Potter film. That's something that needs to be remedied. But <laughs> that movie was nothing but an advertisement for the next one. Back to the Future Part 2. Yeah, that's exactly right. Back to the Future Part 2 ends with a trailer for Back to the Future Part 3. Matrix Reloaded, you could say, is basically existent to make Matrix Revolutions where you're actually going to get to the end of that story. There are a lot of examples of things like that. Or even when you split up a Lord of the Rings, for example, into two movies when you don't need to. Or 
Harry Potter did it with the Deathly Hallows, and Deathly Hallows 1 just left you, I just want to see the second one. Of course, I get it. That's why you're doing it, but it's an unnecessary move to make. Batman versus Superman. Perfect example. And that film just didn't need to exist, period. I, t- I don't hate that film with the, mm. with the vigor that a lot of people do. It just bored me to tears. I wasn't mad at it. I was mad at Green Lantern. I was upset with the ending because, again, it felt like nothing more than... Well, come see the next one. Well, remember WrestleMania last year? I, I know we're getting into weeds that the Friends fans might not be appreciating too much. But Believe us, it'll all tie back together here in a minute. WrestleMania last year was all about, let's get to Saudi Arabia all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. It was, we've added this show in Saudi Arabia. It's going to help our bottom line. So our biggest show of the year, the one that you've been waiting for, is going to be nothing but a setup nothing to a got, show that's coming in a month. Nothing got resolved. Exactly. And then you went to Saudi Arabia and... Even less was resolved. Exactly. So then you are to May or June, and you still don't have that satisfaction of kind of the season finale. Right, and the cliffhanger needs to have some level of hope in it to well, keep you around. Like, you, you, you can be worried about certain things, but it's got to have something in it that you want. And this season finale at the end of 9 kind of gave me nothing that i wanted no. and then basically said screw you we'll see you in the fall it's raining we're all kind of trapped in this hotel joey sees charlie and ross kissing he realizes if i go after rachel maybe i'm not such a bad guy knocks on the door and then that's where you're kind of left yeah i mean that's what don't, i'm saying don't they is, kiss don't they kiss to kind of yes yeah and you just kind of come away feeling like you kind of need to take a shower yeah just doesn't work on a lot of levels no i mean like i've made i've made mention of this episode before but the end of season one of how i met your mother ends with the perfect cliffhanger because it ends with marshall's life crumbling because lily left and he's sitting on the steps in the rain but we saw the beginning of ted and robin's actual relationship he finally gets her at the end of season one so you've got the positive to balance out the negative there was nothing positive about the end of season nine of Friends. You were just mad because you knew it wasn't going to end this way. So you were just like, oh, my goodness, can we please just get to it? And they had already lost nine million viewers from the premiere to the finale. Luckily, there's only one season left. And so we don't have to deal with too many more roadblocks, even though they're still going to find their way into season 10. And I just want to start rooting for Joey again. And by this point, I wasn't rooting for Joey. And that sucks because he's not a dis, he's not an unlikable character. He's in the way of the one thing the show has told me I want and made me care about and made me Pavlovian about. And then, all right, now, of all things, I'm going to take Joey and put him in the way as an obstacle. That just mm, it still bothers me to this day. I don't like it. When I went back and rewatched it, I will say it was not as bad as when I watched it live. When I watched it live and I had to wait between weeks, it drove me insane you have you have the benefit of hindsight now yes you know how it turns out Correct. and so y- you also understand that as we'll get into next week it just never kind of works out so right we'll discuss that is there anything else we need to cover from seven eight and nine or any other topics that we have not hit we should go back to you know what i think we should let the listeners tell us that i think it's a good there's a, a good there's idea. a there's a lot i mean we've got pages of notes here that you've been so nice to put together that we could talk about everything on this list Absolutely. in great detail, Yes, and we would probably still not get through everything on it because, th- th- again, you said 24 episodes over you know, every year for 10 years. There are tons of storylines that we've probably glossed over that you listening might say, hey, what about this? What's your thought on this? 
You can tweet us at 1045thezone, at jmartzone, and tell us what you want to hear about, and we'll do a deep dive. But season 10 coming up, I think there's a lot of things to talk about. That plus the thing that we haven't talked about that we're going to do that I'm bringing back from my old podcast. That's right. That I think everybody's going to dig, and it's going to become a thing we're going to do on the Pop 6 on a regular basis. Also, we didn't talk about Hugsy. And Hugsy was a. I like that episode, the Joey Emma thing. I just like the fact that Joey still had that child in him in that episode. So I enjoyed that. But so that's seven, eight, and nine. The show has jumped the shark to this point. Not our show. Our show's still rocking and rolling. But season nine, it had jumped. You think it jumped before? And really, I could make that argument. I, I could say that that our podcast jumped the shark last week too. But I'm not gonna. Why would you say that? I just because I could say it. I'm mean, sure right. you could. I could drive a hundred. <laughs> I could drive a hundred in front of a state trooper. It doesn't mean I should. <laughs> doesn't mean it's a great idea. Yeah, just because I can doesn't mean I should. should Our we, podcast is rolling. Should we give anybody uh, some homework? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we we mentioned one thing there. Tweet us the things that you feel like maybe we haven't dug into in any of the seasons, but certainly with seasons seven, eight, and nine. Also, I want you to take out a pad and a piece of paper, number it one to fifty, and see how many of the states you can get oh, without yeah. cheating. No cheating. Tweet us and tell us. I got 49. I'm going to admit it. Left out Vermont. I'm spotting you a state right there. I'm, you, I'm going to do it as soon as we're done with the podcast. You I want to do it before I leave this building. If today. you don't forget Vermont, you can thank me later. Well, I would say you're not going to forget Vermont now. That's I, probably the first one everybody's going to write down. They'll write, Tennessee, Vermont. I'm going to make sure we get Vermont. That's homework. And then I guess the other homework for us and for you listening is watch season 10. Re- reintroduce yourself to season 10. We're going to talk about it in great detail next week. Yeah, we absolutely are. We appreciate all the support at jmartzone at 1045zone. If you want to email me, it's jmartclone at gmail.com. This has been Friends Deep Dive Week 3. Week 4, we get into season 10. We do a pretty cool idea on the way out the door that you're going to be sad that you weren't a part of directly. But we're going to make it entertaining for Brad. I'm Jason. We will talk to you next week here on the Pop 6, courtesy of 1045 Zone.